Now, one of the reasons that we're doing this series is because there are a lot of people that don't fit into the traditional understanding, uh, traditional family that we're going to be, um, the church really be focused on for good reason. And in February, we'll be really coming back to that. But you know that uh, more than four out of every 10 adults in the United States are not married. And this year, according to uh, was uh, the uh, uh, the governmental uh, uh, report, and I can't, I just forgot the name of it, but uh, Human Services, Health Human Services said that this year is the first year that more children are born outside of parents that aren't married than children that are born inside of, of families that are married in the United States. We're seeing a, a huge shift in the United States as to really how generations are being raised. And so single parents, this is a real thing. And, uh, and there is something that the church, ha- a word has for you and that God has for you. And so we're going to talk about that. But this morning first, we begin with our Bible memory verse, because disciples of Jesus know God's word. And here's one that's particularly helpful as we deal with single parents. And it comes to us from 1 John 3.18, and it says, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Now, like you understand that this is a great passage, gives us a lot of reminder that faith actually needs to come out in our lives, right? And love needs to be more than just a, a, a good feeling. But uh, we'll see today how that's actually applied, especially in terms of a lot of these families that are uh, parenting without a partner. So here we go. Here we, if you want to say it, uh, say it along with me, and we'll start memorizing. Here we go. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. 1 John 3.18. Uh, see, that's God's word for us. Aren't you happy that God's word is something that says, oh, just believe, whatever? Like, we just norm talking about you have the, the head, the hands, and the heart. That it's not just stuck in our heads. That God said that our faith can actually be powerful and effective. That's the way God wants it to be. That love is something that can be more than just an ethereal feeling that's out there, but it actually has a practical application. I encourage you to take this Bible memory verse and to tattoo it onto that from your heart, right? Right in, carve it in there. Because I think so often in our world, it becomes so much, it's so easy to say, oh, I love somebody. But true love takes effort. And for me, this passage has helped so many times in my life when I've wanted, I've had this draw, like the Holy Spirit saying, God is saying to me, Aaron, you need to, to go and to love this person. And it's easy to say, oh, be warm and well fed. But this passage is one of those things, it's that goad that prompts me outside of selfishness, selfish and worthless love. And it's just the power of God. And I would say there's an area in our community, in, our, in this culture, that needs to be loved actively. <laughs> and those are going to be, in particular, our single parents, of course, and their children. So if you have your Bible, we're going to, you say, where do you go in the Bible to talk about single parents? This is a less traditional kind of family. Well, there's a story in Genesis 21 that we're going to go to today that talks about a single parent. The story actually starts in chapter 16. In chapter 16, we find that there is this uh, Egyptian slave girl who was chosen by, really, the, the matriarch of, of faith, you have Abraham and his wife Sarah, right? And God promised them that they were going to have a child, but it had been a long time that God, since God made that promise, and Abraham and Sarah were both very, very old at the time, and so they thought, hey, let's speed this thing up. And so Sarah chooses an Egyptian slave girl by the name of Hagar to bear Abraham's child. 
and there's going to be the promised child. That was their plan. That's what they thought. Now, God had different plans, but this is what they thought. So Hagar was chosen by Sarah. Apparently, Sarah thought highly of Hagar. If you get to choose somebody that's going to you know, take over the family business, that's going to take over the family name, right? Sarah didn't choose a loser, right? Sarah chose somebody, a, a woman that she thought this is a, she's healthy, she's small, that could be chosen. Sarah chose Hagar. And so, once you know that uh, Hagar becomes pregnant. And once she becomes pregnant, she starts to get haughty. She gets a little prideful. She's like, I got the baby and you don't, Sarah. And guess what? All of this, you get to enjoy it for a while, but it's going to be my family that gets to, we get to enjoy all of this now. And so after that, I mean, there, now there was problem in the home because Sarah wanted a child more than anything, couldn't have it. Now she's old and she's like, God gave a promise to my husband, but I don't really get to enjoy it. She's upset. And now you got this slave girl who's now, you know, being sassy back to her and flaunting her growing belly. And Sarah was none too happy and begins to abuse her. And abuses her so bad that Hagar finally, a pregnant woman, runs away. And she's, she wants to get away from this abusive relationship where she was trapped and she had very few rights. And her life was miserable. You think about how bad it was. She ran away knowing that her child was going to be the heir of all of that stuff. It had to be pretty bad for Hagar to take off. And she runs out into the wilderness, and God meets her there. And he says to Hagar, because she's there, she's weeping, she's scared, and she's upset. And God says, Hagar, don't worry. Go back. Go back to that abusive relationship. Go back to that abusive home. I'm going to be there with you. Your son's going to be born. He's going to be fine. And I've got a plan. And so Hagar listens to God, and this is one of those passages in Scripture that for our Western ears and to understand, this makes no sense to us why God would send a a woman back into this horrible, difficult situation, but he does, and Hagar's faithful, and so she goes back. And she chooses to name her son Ishmael, which means God hears, that God heard her. Well, then we have chapters 17 through 20, and basically a lot of stuff happens between those chapters, but... For our purposes, 12 years happens. 12 years pass. Hagar has her child. 12 years pass, and we get to chapter 21. In chapter 21, God keeps his promise to Sarah and to Abraham, and they have the promised child, Isaac. And it's an amazing story. And and, in verses 1 through 7, we see that Isaac is born. And it's one of the most amazing miracles. It's a miraculous birth. And then the problems really begin with Hagar again after 12 years. It says, The child grew and was weaned, and on that day Isaac was weaned. Abraham held a great feast. In verse 8, verse the Egyptian had born to Abraham, was mocking, and she said to Abraham, Get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman, that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because... It concerned his son. But God said to him, Do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. And I will make the son of the slave into a nation also, because he is your offspring. That is a weird and a hard passage, isn't it? You have this, basically, Hagar is divorced. For all intents and purposes, 
she was married to Abraham in a way, right? She had a kid with him. The boy was 12 years old. And the boy was mocking this younger one because in that ancient culture, guess who got most of the stuff? The oldest boy. And so uh, Ishmael was not concerned about uh, Isaac. He was like, I'm going to have, I get the lion's share of things and all this. And Sarah was upset by this. And she's like, wait a second. You're not going to give the majority of this dynasty to that person, that, that boy that is not, that's from a slave and is really, God said, is not the promised child. Get rid of him. And once again, you find stress and, and a very unhealthy family situation. And Abraham, I mean, he's put in a tough situation, isn't he? Because it's not just Hagar, but it, he says it's his son Ishmael. He loved him, a 12-year-old. I have a son that's 13. I can't imagine. I mean, we were so close. I can't imagine turning him away, right? But God steps in another one of those difficult places in Scripture where God has a bigger plan than our people we understand. And, and he says, nope, Abraham, I'm going to put you at rest with this. This is okay. You can send her out. You can divorce her and send her away, and I'll take care of them, and uh, things will be fine. So Hagar is sent away. And so she gets sent out from everything she knew, all of the, 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 the wealth and the power and the privilege and the position that's there, that her son had and enjoyed in that camp. She now gets sent away into the wilderness. It says in verse 14, early the next morning, Abraham doesn't wait on things. You ever notice one of the things about Abraham, when God speaks, Abraham moves early the next morning. He didn't even wait for like 10 o'clock. The early next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, and he sent them off on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. And she. So, in an overnight, Hagar's life was just destroyed. She now has just a little bit of water and a little bit of food and is now wandering in the desert with a 12 year old. And it didn't go well. It says, when the water and the skin was gone, they had walked far enough, there's no more water. She put the boy under one of the bushes. And then she went off and sat down about a bow shot away. And she thought, I cannot watch this boy die. And she sat there and began to sob. I think this is one of the most difficult passages to really gain, to understand. I, to come to a point that... You, You've done your best, and you've trusted God. Remember, Hagar trusted God. She went back. God said, you're going to be okay. She trusted Abraham. She obeyed her, her mistress. She had this child. She did things perfectly. No. But she trusted God, and now where is she? She's in the middle of the desert. They had wandered so far. All of their resources are gone. Her son, her 12-year-old son, had, couldn't even walk anymore. And so she tries to make him as comfortable as she can. She puts him under some shade, but she's like, this is it. He's going to die. And she, doesn't, she can't just leave him. She can't just let him die alone, but she can't watch him die. And any parent can understand. And so she wanders far enough away that she's close, but that she doesn't have to have her heart ripped out. Even worse than it already had been. And so she's sitting there waiting for her son to die, and then her next. I think a lot of times single parents kind of feel like this. They had a life, they had a plan, that everything that they thought was going to go a certain way. 
Maybe they trusted God. They tried their marriage to try to make it work for whatever reason, whether death or divorce or whatever happened, all of a sudden they find themselves without resources, alone, lost, vulnerable, hopeless. That's where Hagar was. But that's not where she stayed. In verse 17, do you remember what Ishmael's name meant? God hears. Verse 17, God heard the boy crying. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven. And he said to her, what's the matter, Hagar? (laughs) Crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand and I will make him a great nation. And then God opened her eyes and he saw and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God heard. In the midst of her despair, in the midst of all the evidence pointed to the contrary, that it seemed like she had been abandoned by society, failed by society, failed by all the structure that they're supposed to support and take care of her, failed by God seemingly. God did not abandon her. And he hurt her at that moment. And he helped her. He didn't just love her with this intellectual, feathery kind of love that's out there, that, oh, God loves you. No, with actions and in truth. This is not the way that our God loves. And he directs her towards a well. I think that you could think of like that as uh, early humanity public assistance. Somebody else built that well. You got to enjoy it. And he pointed her there. Practical help. So there is, you're not alone. And you know what? Hagar then and Ishmael don't just stay at the well. They begin to thrive. We see there that after that darkest day when God came in and proved to her that he was there. It says that uh, in verse 20, that God was with the boy as he grew up. And he lived in the desert and became an archer. And while he was living there in the desert of Paran with his mother, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. And I think that's an amazing thing. In this passage, this version doesn't tell it, doesn't have it in there. But uh, the Hebrew, it actually talks about the mother paid the bride's price. Which means, like, back then, if you wanted to get married... Your, if you were the groom, your parents would have to basically pay a price to the bride's family. Say. And that's not cheap. And Hagar was at such a place that she had recovered so, mu- so well that she was able not just to take care of herself, but she was able to also pay a bride's price for her son. And her son grew up to be very successful. He was an archer. And you think about today we're like bow and arrow, low technology. Back then, bow and arrow was like cutting-edge technology, right? I mean, he was like on the edge. I mean, this is a successful guy. Their life took a different trajectory than they had ever planned. But God had taken care of Hagar, and, he, and Hagar got to see that, that uh, being a single parent, he found success. So what are some things that we have for single parents from this passage? I, there are other places in Scripture that talk about single parents and, and parenting and stuff, but I like this passage because it seems to me, from my experience of working with single parents and actually being raised by single parents, 
uh, and talking, and I, I did spend some time talking a little bit with my parents about this. But this passage, I think, rings true for so many. The first thing I want to say, if you're, for those that are out here that maybe are single parenting, the first thing I want you to know is that you're not alone. A lot of times, parents that are parenting single, they feel that way. They don't have a partner, right? And so it can be a very isolating type of thing. They, uh, they, they don't have somebody at the end of the day to say, can you, can you just believe what the kids just said, <laughs> what they did, right? They, they feel alone. They're like, it's on their shoulders. It's all up to them. They don't get a sick day. But I want you to know this, that you're not alone. That, that beyond just having... Yes, the ideal is to have a spouse, and we see that in the Scripture, but Hagar didn't get to live the ideal, but it doesn't mean that God wasn't in her life. That God was her spouse in a very real way. He provided. And not just with an ethereal, oh, he loves you. No, he loves you. And he takes care of his own. God's promises and provision are very real. They're not imaginary. There's a reason that we say that our God is the true and living God, because he's true and he's living. Look what Jesus had to say about this people in, in the Matthew, Gospel of Matthew. He speaks right to all of us, doesn't he? He says, don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all those things will be given to you as well. It's not flowery language. If, if you are struggling right now, afraid about what am I going to eat, what am I going to drink, what am I going to wear, and I tell you, a lot of single parents, this is their daily reality. I want you to know that the solution here is God says, seek Him. It's so easy to take our eyes off of God in the midst of the chaos and trying to just keep our head above water. Sometimes we'd swim to anything that looks like it's going to help. And I've seen it more than I wish that I would have. That Some single parents, sometimes they go and they look bad about the relationship, but they get there because they think, well, at least there's going to be provision here. I'll tell you this, God's going to provide for you. He's, going, he's not going to ask you to get into something horrible. He's going to care for you. But you have to seek him first. And that takes a step of faith, doesn't it? Because just like love, faith takes action. Seek his kingdom and his righteousness. And trust that his, his promise is absolutely true. And I want you to know with this, too, when Jesus is talking about all of this, he's talking to his community, isn't he? That you're not alone in all of this, and oftentimes God helps bring about the things that we need through your real family, your church family, which is what we are. You're not alone. Second thing I want you to say is, is you're not hopeless. Hagar thought she was hopeless for every practical reason. If she looked into her life, anybody who looks in that story and says that they were in Hagar's shoes, you would be hopeless. Without water, without food, in the middle of a desert with a dying sun that you cannot help. It looked pretty hopeless. But we were never hopeless. We have God. And His promise is real. He's a real, true God. And therefore, for those of us that may be feeling like you're in the wilderness, here's the truth for you. Today's not forever. 
It's not always going to be this hard. Today may be the day that that you're walking out there and you're running out of water, but God's going to show you the well. Seek Him. And I want you to know this too, is that you don't have to to live at the well. Sometimes we find as, as people that have gone through, they've struggled so hard and life has been hard. And then they get directed towards public assistance or something like that. And their fear is, if I start being, I'm going to be this horrible mooch. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to camp out at the well. This is not the way that God works. Sometimes he directs you to the help of the church. Sometimes he directs you to the help that's available. But he doesn't do that so you can stay there forever, only just being needy. Even Hagar, in this ancient culture where women didn't have a ton of rights, and she was an Egyptian slave in a foreign land with a child, a young man, right, as a... As a single parent, this was a very difficult culture for her to succeed in. And even she was able to thrive. I'll tell you, you might have to go to the well, but you don't have to stay there thriving that that God may have before you. And I want you to know this too, that children are resilient. I think a lot of of, uh, single parents struggle with guilt, like I can't believe I had to bring my child through this. I mean, can you imagine Hagar? Feeling like I know that my son is suffering not because of who he is, but because of who I am. The reason he's dying under this shaded bush without water and, and crying to death, the reason he's doing that is because of me. That's a, that's a lot of guilt. Sometimes we don't suffer because of who we are, it's just because the world's broken. But I'll tell you this children are resilient. Children can go through difficult times, and if you point them to God in the midst of them, show who God is and his power and his purpose in the midst of it, they will grow strong. Ishmael didn't stay that weak boy dying under a bush. He became a mighty, powerful archer. Trust that God is at work. You're not hopeless. And the third thing I want you to hear is that you have great responsibility and influence. For our single parents to realize that, that you're not powerless in this how you handle the difficult time the time in the wilderness matters as, as parents realize that your children they didn't ask for this either i mean sometimes we're single we're, we're single parents you see single parents because they did maybe had bad choices or whatever and then and then their children suffer sometimes it's because somebody else did something bad but regardless there is there are people in this that didn't do anything and that's the children and they do suffer and it's hard for them and they're looking to you to how we're going to get through this, because you're the adult. And let me challenge the single parents that this is hard, but there's also great purpose in it. I'll say this, reject bitterness. If you can show your children how not to be bitter at a time in life when everybody else in the world is chooses, like it makes sense to be bitter. Like can you imagine Hagar probably had every right and reason to be bitter. And maybe she was. But I say for you, you could choose not to be bitter. Not to talk about the child's parent as this horrible, awful person. Instead, to pray for them. Not to just say, God, why? I hate you because you made my life hard. Guess what? Everybody's life is hard. Yours is hard in a unique way. But instead of saying, God, where were you? Say, God, you hear me. You reject being bitter. You can teach your children how not to be bitter. That's a powerful thing. That'll help them in all kinds of things in life. I think you embrace healing. It will not be like it is today forever. Things happen. They change. 
Let's heal. Part of that's in forgiveness. Maybe there's counseling that's needed. Maybe there's conversations that need to have, be had. But I'll tell you what, you can heal. And you can set the standard in your family that we are not the type of family that gets hurt and then continues to wound. Let's say in your home that you're going to choose to be the kind of family that heals one another. This is a safe place, a place that you can grow. And that best kind of healing starts, obviously, with the heart. With forgiveness, and it says in Scripture that we forgive because we've been forgiven, and we love because we have been loved. And so realize that you need to demonstrate first that relationship with Christ, that you are whole in Him, and that you are have peace because God's promises are real, and that you forgive the other things in life and other things because God has forgiven you. In this, I think the influence that you have on your children, it will be enormous. In fact, I'm confident of it. If you have to suffer, make it worth, worthwhile, right? Invest it. And use that time, and I think you will find that your children may grow up to have a greater sense of compassion, a greater sense of peace, a greater sense of security than a lot of other kids because they've gotten to see God's hand real in their growing up in their life. How about for the rest of the church? How about for us? Because if we have single parents amongst us, how do we support them? I'm going to use an acrostic for us for this that I got from a, a, a pastor named Thomas Black. And I thought this was fantastic. And then I showed it to some single parents that I know. And they said, yes, that's good stuff. So here we go. And when the acrostic is Hagar. And so the H starts with hope. The church can provide single parents with hope. Single parents struggle with guilt. They do. And inadequacy, that's a real thing. They struggle with despair and exhaustion. This is the world that they live in for a while. They need constant encouragement. They need to know that they're not alone, right? That better days are coming, that children actually do grow up, right? And they can be successful. Their children, they'll watch them grow. And so they may be in the hardest time, but it does get better. They need somebody outside of them saying, you're doing this, right? And it's okay. They need to know that they're seen. I think one of the most lonely places single parents can sometimes go to is the church. Because we always talk about the family, that, that the ideal family. Sometimes they come, they feel like, oh, I'm inadequate. I shouldn't be here. But no, you need to be here. They need to know that that... That God is a wilderness, that God has a plan, and He's been working through people in imperfect circumstances throughout all of time. We have to offer them hope. They need perspective. They need to know that the sacrifices that they're making for their children and their family today are going to be worth it. Hope. Single parents need to find hope here. Second thing, the A is assistance. Hope can't just be, oh, it's going to get better. It can't just be with Words and speech, it's got to be with actions and in truth, right? Think about it. Most single parents are doing more than the work of two people. You ever heard the concept of synergy? Or like one plus one equals more than two? And it happens like in teams and all that kind of stuff, just how God made us to work. Like you take one ox and it pulls 1,000 pounds, but if you put two oxes together, it pulls 3,000 pounds, right? Happens the same way in marriage. That's why God says, I want there to be a husband and a wife. The two parents make things a whole lot easier, but if you lose that other partner, it's not like you're just doing double the work. You're doing triple the work, if not more. Single parents are exhausted for a reason. It's hard to raise children. They're crazy little humans that just don't know how to human yet. Right? Because of that, 
they could use some support, assistance. In fact, James writes about this. Jesus' brother, he says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. When you see a single parent that has children at home, this is their time of distress. Right? That, this is, when you see a, a, a single parent struggling with their, <laughs> to, to raise young children at home, this is a time that is hard for them. God says this is right religion. This is what he wants from us to be able to show love in a very practical way for those who could really need it. So let me tell you, here's some practical things that, that single parents can often use. One is financial. Right? They, they're one person. They've got to have jobs, some t- most, usually multiple jobs which is, takes a lot of extra time. So now they've got less energy and less time to care for the most important thing in their life, these children. You know, sometimes you can really help. You, you can give money, gifts. You can write a letter in the, and just send it in the mail. You can even do it anonymously if you want to. But money is helpful because that money isn't just, oh, I'm relieving a financial burden. It's relieving a time burden. It's relieving a, a, a security burden for a family or groceries. Or gifts. I mean, one of the things that, that uh, when I was, uh, my, my parents were just newly divorced, and I had, uh, it was four of us, and uh, my dad was just starting his, like, it was, it was tight time in, in the Dorman family financially. And I'm grateful that God didn't leave us there, but we were there for a time. And so Christmas was coming up, and uh, my dad had his own company, all this. My mom was gone. She was in Boulder, and, uh, and, we didn't really have, we had enough, my, we cut down a Christmas tree, had a little thing, but then somebody, I don't know who, because we weren't really going to the church at the time, uh, but somebody brought over on, on uh, Christmas Eve a whole bunch of presents. We went out to the, the Christmas, we went to the Catholic Christmas Eve service thing and came back and they were gifts. And my dad was totally touched because this is not something that he didn't have enough. He got it enough just to give us each one small little thing. That's all he could do, which was, would have been great. I'll tell you what, that was amazing. Santa is real. <laughs> but it's not just the, the, the financial things. There's emotional help that you can offer. You know, you can give a, a single parent a break. Maybe you can help them out. Uh, child care. Give them a, a, a night off. Let them go out and, and just watch a movie. <laughs> Give them a chance to go away and spend time just shopping or, or hunting or something. Give them a break because they never get one. Maybe they need a friend. They could use some emotional support knowing that they're not alone in this. Somebody to call on the phone and to tell you, like, I can't believe the kids just said this. Or can you believe that teacher? <laughs> Somebody to talk to. They can also use physical help. Like around the house. Maybe there's some cleaning that needs to be done or gutters that need to be emptied out or, or maintenance that needs to happen. Their time is of a premium and their energy is of a premium too. And sometimes those extra things just get dropped. You might be able to help. Maybe it's changing the oil in the car or just driving it down to, to the mechanic to get fixed up. You have an opportunity. Maybe it's just running errands, saying, you know what, I'm going to be down in the valley. What can I pick up for you? We can help. That is real religion. The G is God. We can help. 
Our single parents find a strong faith. Remember the solution. God's promises come with the conditions to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all those things he's going to help you with. Single parents oftentimes are struggling so much just to survive, it's hard to keep their eyes on Christ. The church can help provide that reminder that God is real. Hagar had deep emotional through. Her son had deep emotional wounds. And I'll tell you, a lot of single parents and their children struggle with deep emotional wounds. It's hard. We need to be a place that points them to the healer, the God who can help them. And so like our church, one of the things when you give to the church, what, what are some of the places that goes to? It goes to our praise place. Where every week, children are able to have, parents are able to have a, a break. But the children are loved and they're cared for and they're taught about Christ and they're given the opportunity to go back and talk to their parents about what, what did they learn in faith. I think of things like this, uh, uh, child care as a one of the things that we help provide with different ministries like our Moms Connect. And I know that some of you out there actually help with the Moms Connect and provide child care. And some of those are single moms. Life groups are a great place to find connection, if for, especially for single people. If you have a single mom in, or a single dad in your, in your life group, here's a great way that you have somebody there to realize that they have a community there that's there to help them, support them. Help them grow in faith so they could see God in the midst of their hard time, just like needed, uh, Hagar needed to hear God's voice in the wilderness. A is acceptance. Single parents, uh, single parenting can be lonely, especially in the church. I remember my, uh, my parents got divorced. When, one of the reasons that we, I'm not Catholic now, is we went to the Catholic church and they said, you can't come into the sanctuary. You are now unclean. We had to go sit in the choir loft. It was weird. So my dad said, we're not doing that anymore. The church needs to be a place where those who are single parents are loved and accepted. You belong here just as much as anybody else, and you're welcome. Single parents can often feel like they don't fit because every single thing around our culture is is set up for the two-parent home. That's the ideal, and it makes sense, and it's good. But oftentimes they feel like, well, I'm not that, so I don't fit in. But I'll tell you, they need to realize that they do have a place. They fit here. We can make them feel welcome. They need grace and acceptance from God and from us. The R is relief. They need relief from a lot of things. The first was from fear. Right? It's scary to be sick. You think uh, Hagar was terrified when she ran out of water and her boy couldn't walk any longer and they couldn't see the next village? A lot of times there's a lot of fear in single parenting. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. Beyond that, we live in a predatory culture, don't we? And you know, one parent trying to do everything they can, but they've got less time because they're working extra jobs and all this kind of stuff. And they've got to, there's times that they just cannot be there with their kids. Their children. That's one of the things that our praise place does. It's what we want to do. is what life groups, being able to provide spaces for your children to be able to come and to be around other good, solid Christian people. They know their children are safe. They need relief too from isolation. I think single parenting is so hard because in that stage of life, which is not forever, but in that stage, it's about survival. It's all about working. It's all about, you know, just trying to take care of the kids. It's really not about the single parent at all. So they could feel very isolated. Not having friends or support networks or things like this. But to have friends, to have a church that actually cares about them, calls them up. People, not just the pastor who calls them up and says, hey, are you okay? 
and provides for them too, I think, time for self-care, which is something that we find in Scripture is so important. Something that gives them a, a break to go and to read or to, to walk or to jog or to something that's a relief for them too. I think you, you can do is providing relief. If you were here today, one of the things you might do, maybe helping with the praise place ministry. There's a huge, great ministry to single parents. I think another one to all parents, but especially our single parents, but also maybe helping with the nursery or or if you're gifted with this and you've got a heart for it and you're good, maybe know, getting to know a single parent, getting to know them. And if, if child care is something you could provide maybe for an afternoon once a week, maybe that's something that you could do. Or maybe it's mentoring. Maybe you are a single parent that's lived through the hard times. And you could come alongside somebody who, another single parent who's struggling, and you could say, you know what, I've been through it. And you can provide some help and some care and some mentoring. These are practical ways that our church can help. Hope, assistance, God, acceptance, and relief. At the end of the day, I want you to see, as single parents, let's get this. You are not alone. If you are here, you're single, you're a parent, you're not alone. And you're not without hope. God is with you. His tr- word is true. And you're not without power. You have great responsibility right now, but you also have incredible influence, not just to affect yourself, but also generations to come. This is not a wasted time. And for the church, the church, we have a responsibility to help single parents we need to offer them hope and assistance, strong faith in God, acceptance, and relief. So, dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. How do we apply that? What's those actions for you? You take out your connection card. I have some suggestions, as well as I've talked quite a few of them today. On the back side, maybe there's some things that you can do. Maybe you be. And then asking God, saying, God, what is it, what is the action and the truth that you want to me to, pr- to show my love? Start there. Or maybe this week you say, you know what, I'm going to read this story here. I'm going to read Genesis 16 through 21. I'm going to read the story of Hagar and see how God works in the midst of this. And then say, God, in the midst of this, begin to pray and say, God, how do you want me to help care for those in our community that that single parent? Or how about this? Maybe what you want to do is pray for our single parents. They need support. Primarily and first from God. And so maybe you begin saying, God, uh, you begin praying for them, that God provides them the help and the care that they need. And I would be praying and say, God, how, what part do I have to play in that? Maybe what you need to do is you need to help in the praise place. That's a great one. Why is the suggestion there? Well, that's such an amazing ministry. You have an opportunity to change. You know how a praise place is one of the most powerful places in this entire building? Like Generations are changed down there. Every single week is, is an incredible ministry. And if you feel called to be able to help with that way, that's a very practical way in our church. And it's the praise place, the nursery. If you are interested in that, let us know. Of course, we have to we'll train you have to do the background checks and all that kind of stuff. But um, well, that, is, that is a really good practical way to get started. Maybe there's something else. Maybe something else I mentioned. Maybe something the Holy Spirit's telling you to do. That you're like, I'm going I'm to do it this week. Let me know. I will pray for you, support you. And, uh, and help you in every way um, that I can help us put our love into action. Maybe there's a prayer request that you have. I encourage you to write those down so I can pray very specifically for you this week, not just uh, generally. And uh, so we'd encourage you to do that. And here in just a minute, we'll take our offering. I invite you to take these connection cards, drop them in the offering baskets as they're passed. And uh, let's pray for these, and then we'll have the worship band come and close us with some good worship. Let's pray. Father,
we love the fact that you are real. We love the fact that you are kind. Lord, but I also I'm taking a day the fact that we can call you Father. And that with you, there is no such thing as a single parent, truly. That uh, as long as we're with you, that we have, we have Father God with us. Lord, I pray that your love and your mercy, your grace, your hope, your assurance, your acceptance, Father, would surround and encourage our single parents that are in this church. And Father, I pray that you would help us as a church community to lift up and support those that, uh, that are single parents amongst us. Father, that you would provide for them in their need, that you would give them help, that you would protect their children, how to love and support in such a great way that represents you, the kind of religion that you count as pure. Father, for the commitments we've made today, I pray that you would use them, invest them in your kingdom. May it grow in us and through us throughout this valley. And Father God, we uh, also pray for our tithes and our offerings and our gifts. The same thing. An investment in you, the God who loves us, that we seek you first, your kingdom, your righteousness. For Lord, it is true that you do provide us with everything we need. So we offer these back to you out of gratitude, but also with anticipation for the great things that you're going to do with these gifts. We pray all of that in Christ's wonderful name. Amen.